Good morning, and take a copy of God's Word if you have it, and turn with the New Testament. Turn with me to the New Testament book of Second Peter. Second Peter, short book near the end of your Bible, and we're going to pick up in verse uh, chapter three and uh, verse three in just a minute. Second Peter, chapter three and verse three, and today I want to talk just a little bit about the last days. The last days. <coughs> now, the last days or the end times or eschatology or However you want to term it, it is a very popular topic both inside and outside the church right now. And, and I'm not going to get into, some people get into real detailed timelines and maps, and they, they have beautiful charts. If you've seen them, some, uh, some guys on TV they, uh, and, and books, they'll just have just a beautiful spread, and, and they think they've got it all mapped out. I'm not going to do that because, well, I don't have it all mapped out. And I'm not going to uh, participate in what I might, what you might term newspaper eschatology, where uh, you hold a newspaper in one hand, if you can still find one in print, and hold the Bible in the other hand and try to find a specific prophecy or promise in the Bible that matches up with every headline that you see. But what we're going to do today is we're going to look at what the Apostle Peter wrote to the early followers of Christ about the last days. Now, what he says is not new. I mean, Jesus himself warned and prepared his followers for the coming hardships as they waited for his return. Uh, the apostles, as you read throughout the New Testament and, and, and read the things that they taught, read the things that they preached about, they often talked about Christ coming back. They talked about his return. And so what Peter, of course, he's one of the apostles, and what he does is he reminds us uh, about some of those things that we already should know. Now, why did Peter write this? Well, we know that his, letter, his letters are addressed to people who are scattered abroad, Christians who are uh, scattered abroad, and many of them were suffering. They're going through a time of, per, of persecution, a time of trial. And, uh, and you can just imagine how they're feeling because many of these people expected Christ to return during their lifetime. And so here they are, they're expecting Christ to come back, they're going through a time of suffering, and yet some of them are starting to die. Some of them maybe have have uh, grown old and they've, they've died because of that. Some of them have died because of trial and, and persecution. And so here's this seeming delay from Jesus. And they're trying to hold on to this hope of, of the, second, uh, the second coming of Christ, but they're starting to get discouraged. They're starting to get depressed. They're starting to get upset. And so Peter writes this to, uh, to encourage them and to remind them of some glorious truths. And what he basically says is this, rather than lose faith or get discouraged when people mock us for our faith or because we're awaiting the second coming of Christ, instead, we should remember that this world is not our home and hold, hold steadfast in our faith in Christ. Now, if you found Second Peter 3, please stand with me in honor of God's Word. And we're going to pick up in verse 3 and we're going to read uh, several verses today. He says, Know this, first of all, that, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues, just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by, wa and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. 
But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to, ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, and the elements will melt with intense heat? But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth, in which righteousness dwells. Thank you. you. May be seated. Now, in this text, Peter gives us three M's that I want you to see. Three M's that I want you to focus on. The first thing that he tells us is that in the last days there will be mocking. There will be mocking. Now, people are going to—that means people are going to make fun of and scoff at the people of faith. Now, do we see that happening today? Yeah, you better believe that we do. Uh, he, he says that, that these mockers, he tells us a couple things. First, he says they're going to follow after their own lust. And what that means is these are going to be people who do whatever's right in their own eyes. To them, there's going to be no such thing as an absolute standard of right and wrong, of, of good and bad, of morals and, and immor, uh, immorality. They just do whatever they want to do, and they say, well, if it pleases me, nobody's getting hurt, I'm just going to do my own thing. I'm just going to do what I want. Now, is that a, a new phenomenon? Did that just start happening in the 2000s or in the 1900s? Of course not. All the way back in the Old Testament, the Bible explicitly says in the time of Judges, people did whatever was right in their own eyes. The problem with this theory, the, the problem with this view of doing whatever you want to, of doing whatever's right in your own eyes, is the Bible tells us that there's a way which seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. There's a story told about uh, ancient sailors who got stuck out in some fog one night. And this fog just wouldn't lift. And, and they couldn't see anything except fog. And you've probably driven in sometimes kind of like that. And you can't see anything except for fog. And, and they were out on the ocean. They couldn't see land. They couldn't see any kind of lighthouse. They couldn't see the, the, the moon or the stars to navigate by. And so what they decided to do was they, they lit a lamp and put it at the end of their ship. And they decided to navigate by it. Of course, the problem with that is that when you have no fixed point of reference, you don't know when you're going off track. But that's the way a lot of people lead their lives, isn't it? They light a lamp and put it at the end of their lives, and, and they say, well, this is, the way that I'm gonna, this is the way that I'm gonna live. In the last days, mockers will follow after their own lusts. But not only that, if you'll notice what he says in, in uh, verse 3, it says that uh, not only are they gonna follow after their own lusts, but they're going to be scoffers. They're going to mock the people of God. And you can almost hear the sarcasm that's dripping off their words here, can't you? When, he, when they say, uh, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all of creation, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. These people are, are, are proud. They're going to be know-it-alls. They're going to be people who, who think that they have the inside scoop. They're people who, who scoff at people of faith. They think it's foolishness. They think that, that if you believe in Jesus, if you believe that God created the earth, if you believe all these things, then you're just an old, you're just an old 
rube. You're just a simpleton. You're just an old hillbilly that doesn't know any better. And again, this is nothing new. It happened all throughout the Old Testament. Listen to these words uh, from some of the prophets. Now, there's a lot of things that, depending on the tone in which they're said, can mean different things. And I want you to hear a tone of sarcasm in these words because this is the way that they're spoken. Isaiah 5.19, speaking of God, they say, Let him make speed. Let him hasten to his work that we may see it. And let the purpose of the Holy One of Israel draw near and come to pass that we may know it. Or Jeremiah 17, 15. Where is the word of the Lord? Let it come now. Or Malachi 2, 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words, yet you say, how have we wearied, wearied him? In that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or where is the, the God of justice? Do you hear that, that mocking tone? They're saying, well, you prophets are saying that, that God's going to bring judgment. Well, let's just see him do it then. You, you know, you just let him hasten and, and hurry up and bring his work. Let's, let's just see it. And what Peter's saying is this type of attitude is not only going to be present, it's going to be prevalent. It's going to ramp up in the last days. Now, of course, the ironic thing is the only reason these people can mock about God is because he hasn't done it yet. They're saying, well, let him just bring some judgment. Let's see what he can do. And the only reason they can say that is because he hasn't brought judgment yet. It's kind of ironic. It's kind of like those people who use their First Amendment rights to protest the military who protects their First Amendment rights. It's, they're, they're mocking God, and, and the reason they're doing that is because he hasn't done anything yet. They think that because he hasn't done it, he can't do it or he's unwilling to do it. And what's their argument based on? Well, we've not seen it yet. God hadn't done anything yet, so evidently he, he's powerless to do it or he just doesn't want to. Things are pretty much the same now as they've always been. But if you'll notice verse 5, Peter says that when they say this, it escapes their notice that God has brought judgment before, namely in the flood. Now, I preach out of the NASB, and I prefer that translation. I like it. I think it's a good, reliable translation. But it does a terrible job with this verse. And if, if you have a different translation, you probably have a better translation on this verse than what mine is because verse 5 literally says that when they say this, they are deliberately ignorant. They are willfully ignorant. They are deliberately overlooking the fact that God has brought judgment in the past. God flooded the world. Now, in the last days, there are going to be people who mock, people who throw off the restraints of morality, people who throw off the restraints of religion and virtue and goodness, and they'll do whatever they want, and they'll mock people of faith, and they'll say, well, nothing has happened in the past, so Jesus didn't come back. He hadn't come back yet. Therefore, y'all are a bunch of idiots for believing it. I mean, just look, it's, it's never happened in the past, and the, and the Word of God says, oh, but it has. And so when you say this, you're really uh, being willfully ignorant. So the first thing that he says about the last days is there's going to be mocking. But then he tells us a message, a message. 
And this message both encourages us as we wait, but also explains why Jesus has not come back yet. I want you to look at verse 8 again. The first part of it uh, tells us something very important. It says, but do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved. And what he's saying is these scoffers are, are willfully ignorant. They, they willfully forget that God's judged the world. But you, as a person of faith, you remember. You remember this truth. And the first thing that he wants us to remember is that God doesn't count time like we do. Look at the rest of verse 8. That with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. Now, probably all of us, at one point or another, have wondered why Jesus hadn't come back yet. And haven't you ever thought that? Maybe you're going through a hard time in life, and you're like, Oh, Lord, please just return and end all this suffering and all this family mess and all this work mess and all this stuff that's going on, and we have physical problems, and, and, and we're just like, Jesus, come back, please. And then He doesn't do it. And we're like, boy... React, react, God. Or maybe we just look around and, and we think about Andy Griffith. We think about happy days. And we say, boy, those were the good old days. And then we turn on the Kardashians. And then we turn on whatever, Big Brother, whatever it is. And we're like, boy, this whole world has gotten pretty bad. And, and we look at things and we say, this world is in such, has degraded in so many ways. I just can't believe Jesus hasn't come back yet. Or maybe we just read stuff like, you know, Jesus talking about coming back or uh, some, of the, some of the biblical writers talking about the return of Christ, and we just scratch our head and say, that was 2,000 years ago. Why on earth in 2,000 years has Jesus not come back? And the answer to that is what Peter says in verse 8. God looks at time a lot differently than we do. See, to us, it looks like God's running a little behind. Now, in our family, we understand running behind because we cannot be on time for anything. Yesterday, we were, we were going to be going to a thing, and Scarlett was convinced that we were going to have time to go out to eat beforehand, and we were going to have time to do this, that, and the other, do some running in town. And we had all these; she had all these grand plans, and we were late, and we didn't do any of it. We just went straight from the house to there, and uh, we stopped one time on the way, but that was only like three minutes. And we were late. We understand being late. And listen, we look at what Jesus is doing. He's not come back yet. We say, Jesus is running late. But verse 8 tells us, no, he's, he's not tardy. He's not slack concerning his promise. It's just that God operates on a different timetable than ours. And we, and we probably have seen that whenever we've prayed earnestly that God would do something in this amount of time and he doesn't do it. But then all of a sudden he does it like a week later and it's a lot better than what we ever asked for. And we're like, oh, well, that's a lot better. Well, I'm, I'm glad you didn't do what I asked for when I asked it. Your timetable is a lot better, but we forget that, don't we? And now, a lot of people look at verse eight and they make a big deal about a day and a thousand years, and and that boy, they go to seat on that. But Peter's just—he's just making a comparison. He's just saying, you know what? We look at time a lot differently than what God does. It's not that much different than Psalm ninety, verse four. It says, "For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by, or as a watch in the night." 
I want you to think about yesterday. You may not even remember what you had for breakfast. I mean, it's just like, in some ways, it just seems like it's so long ago, and it just seems like it went by like that. Or think about Friday at work. Those of us who are still working or going to school or wherever it is, think about Friday. You say, boy, I can't hardly remember Friday. And even if it was a bad day, maybe it was a great day, maybe it was a bad day, but when we think about it, it's like, boy, that went by pretty fast, really. It's just like that. Now, the way that we look at the past is a lot different than the way we look at the present, isn't it? Because when we're going through that, when we're at work, where the hour hand moves in slow-mo, doesn't it? Or maybe it goes backwards. But after it's passed, then we look back at it, it's like, well, that just went by like that. And that's what the Bible says time is like to God. A thousand years to Him, it's just like that. It's like when we think of yesterday. And so what Peter is saying is that we look at things and we say, I don't know how Jesus could wait 2,000 years. And to God, it's just a couple days. You know, we delay something for a day or a week or an hour. Well, that's what a delay of a thousand years would be like to God. It's just a, a blip on the radar. That's the first part of this message in verse 8. But, but look at verse 9. The rest of this message is the part that we're probably the most familiar with, and that is that God loves us and doesn't want anyone to perish. Now, when it speaks of perishing, it's, just not, it's not just talking about somebody who dies physically. It's talking about someone dying spiritually and going to hell. So why does it seem like God is delaying his return? Well, number one, because he doesn't account for time like we do, and so really it's not a delay. But number nine, this is really an act of mercy, an act of grace. No matter how bad we want him to come back, verse nine tells us the reason that he's uh, not come back yet is because he wants somebody to have one more chance. Because once Christ comes back, that's it. There are no more chances. When Jesus comes back, whatever you've done with Christ in this life is what you have to live with in eternity, both good and bad. And so what he's saying is, I want you, if you are, if you are not saved, if you are an unchristian, I want to give you another chance. I want to give you another day. I want you to respond to me in faith. And I'm giving you a chance to do that. Someone has said that the wheels of God's justice turn slow, but they turn fine. And one day, Christ will return. And for the Christian, it's going to be a day of rejoicing. It's going to be a, a day of joy and, and happiness. But for the non-Christian, for the scoffer, for the one who mocks, for the person who says, I have no need of God, maybe just the person who says, I'm going to wait till, till next week, I'm going to wait till tomorrow, I'm going to wait till they sing this number of verses in the invitation. Then I'll come forward. That's when I'll give my life to Jesus. And they wait too long. It's going to be a day of judgment for them. And the Bible says, while you still have time, while it's still called today, respond to him in faith. Today is the day of salvation. And I would implore you, I would beg you today, if you are, if you are not saved, if you are not a Christian, turn from your sin today. Because that's what this whole message of, of his seeming delay is about. Now finally in verses 10 to 13, Peter finishes up with motivation. Motivation. He tells us that one day 
all that we see here is going to burn up. Now, we hear a lot about global warming today. And the great prophet Al Gore in 2006, January of 2006, made this prediction that within 10 years, we would pass a tipping point as, as an earth, as a planet, and we would be in a, quote, true planetary emergency. In other words, things are going to burn to a crisp. Well, that passed this past week, actually. A lot of people heard that. They've jumped on the bandwagon. We hear all about global warming. I'm not going to debate you on whether it's happening or not. If it is, and 70 degrees in January is what we get, I'm all for it. But you know, one day, some real global warming is going to happen when Christ returns. That's what, that's what verse 10 says in, in the following verses. He says all this stuff is going to be destroyed. It's going to, it's going to burn up, and, and the elements are going to melt with an intense heat. And all the stuff that we see is going to be made over. And therefore, since we don't have an enduring eternal home here, it should motivate us to live differently than the unsafe person. Peter says that it should result... Uh, look, at, uh, look at verse 11. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness looking for and hastening the coming day of God? What he's saying is since, since all this stuff that we see isn't going to last, that needs to change the way that we live. That needs to affect the way that we live. It should affect our motivation. We sang the old hymn just a little bit ago that said, This world is not my home. If you're, if you're a Christian, that's true. The question is then, why do we live like it is? Why do we live like this world is all that there is? Why do we put so much stock in having things? And having stuff and loving the world and we have such a narrow temporal perspective. And instead of that, Peter says, because this world isn't going to last, because all this stuff that, I mean, we, sometimes we get into, the, into that camp of loving the world and holding hands with, with the world. And, and, and James says you can't be friends with God and friends with the world at the same time. And if you're friends with the world, you're an enemy of God. And sometimes we get to uh, letting go of Jesus' hand and, and holding the world's hand a little bit tighter. And, and Peter's saying, why? Why? It's not going to last. So since this isn't going to be here in eternity, and all this, you know, you want to drive a big fancy car, that's fine. But one of these days it's not going to mean a whole lot. You want to have a great big house with a million rooms in it? That's fine, but what's that going to matter in eternity? And what Peter is saying is, because of that, that should change our perspective. It should change our motivation. We ought to be living a holy life because one day, whether you're rich or you're poor, you're going to end up six foot under, aren't you? I read a quote one time that said, at the end of the game, both the king and the pawn end up in the same box. And I, I love that quote. What does that mean? It means that it doesn't matter how much money you got, one day your eyes will be closed in death. Therefore, it needs to, needs to change the way that you're living now because one day after you die, you're going to have to give an account for how you've lived. 
And there are a lot of people out there who live like they don't have to answer for what they've done in this life. But they will. Maybe they don't believe that they will. doesn't matter. You can believe that you can step off the top of the Empire State Building and float. doesn't matter what you believe in that sense. The facts are the facts. You can believe you won't have to stand before God, but one of these days you're going to. There are also those that are those mockers, the ones who scoff, that, that try to take advantage of people's discouragement or disappointment that Christ hasn't returned. And they try to take advantage of that and try to destroy our faith. You ever had somebody like that? Or maybe, you know, you're, you're down and you go to work and boy, there's somebody there that's always, always good to kind of rub that salt in the wound. Somebody in the family that, well, they're, they're kind of, most of the time they're all right, but boy, sometimes at just the, right, just the wrong time, they'll give you a little kick when you're down. Uh, maybe it's a subtle mocking, but there's a mocking. They'll try to destroy your faith. Remember, God doesn't account for time like we do. And we look at things, we say, boy, I hope Jesus comes back soon. I hope he does. But you know what? Whether he does or not, he's not negligent concerning his promise. He's given people another day to repent, another day to turn to him. One of these days, Christ will return, and he'll repay everybody according to their deeds they've done in the flesh. So the question that all of us, Christian and non-Christian, both have to answer is, what are you going to say when you stand before God? What kind of answer are you going to give when you have to give an account for the things you've done, the things that you've said, the attitudes that you've had, the thing, your thought life, the websites you visit, the movies you watch, the books you read? And we look at that and we say, man, that's heavy stuff. It is heavy stuff. And that's why Peter says you need to live a holy life. You need to live a godly life. And maybe as a Christian, you, you might have something in your life you need to repent of. You need to get that junk out of your life. Maybe as a non-Christian, you need for the first time to repent of your sin. You, you need to turn to God and say, you know, I realize I'm a sinner. I'm sorry. I recognize my sin against you. Please forgive me and save me. There's no better time to do it. You say, well, Jesus hadn't come back in 2,000 years. That's true. What if he comes back today? You say, well, I'll just, I'll just wait till another day. Well, if he ain't got another day. I'm not trying to be morbid or or scary anybody, but those are the facts of life. I've heard of preachers falling dead as they were preaching in the pulpit. You never know how long you've got. Why don't you stand with me as the musician comes. And as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Again, I'm not trying to manipulate anyone through uh, fear or uh, anything like that. 
But at the same time, I also recognize that we don't know how much time we got. It only takes that one phone call, that one test result from the doctor, that one car accident, somebody not paying attention, somebody texting while they're driving, and the world changes us drastically. One of these days, all this stuff isn't going to be here. Why put your faith and your hope and your trust in it? Heavenly Father, Lord, we don't like to uh, think about the fact that one of these days all of us are uh, going to stand before you, whether it be because Christ has returned you and, and we stand before you then or because we've drawn our last breath and we stand before you then. But we know whatever, uh, whatever it is that makes us get to that point, we know that it's going to happen. And help us to remember that whenever we are uh, making choices and, and doing some of the things that we're doing and saying some of the things that we're saying. Help us remember that, uh, that we will give an account for those things one day. God, help us as Christians to live a holy life, a godly life. And we know that Jesus told us that when we see all these things happening, we should lift up our eyes because our salvation is drawing nigh. Help us to always be expectant and then to let that change the way that we live. God, for the person maybe who's hearing me and they've never seen Christ as their Savior, God, I pray that you would let them see the beautiful salvation that you offer, the free salvation that you offer, free to us, and that whosoever will may come. And help the person who's never accepted Christ to do that. God, we just ask that you move in our hearts. Amen.